All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together as family. May we never become familiar with it, Father. Oh, what a wonderful time it is to fellowship together in your Son's good name, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to just dine on the very bread of life together. What a gift this morning is. Thank you. We pray for those that can't be with us, that are ill in our congregation, uh, in a multitude of ways. We just pray that you comfort them, that they know that we're with them in spirit, and that we pray for them in their return. Your will be done, of course. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world, for there are many. And our hearts go out to them, and we just pray that you humble them whatever, by whatever means necessary, Father, uh, so that they can be given saving faith. We can have additional family members for all of eternity. We're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a joyous morning like this a reality for us. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 31, uh, I want to start with some scripture. Let's go to Proverbs 3.19. Sort of an old friend, uh, Proverbs 3.19, but it'll get us well situated this morning. Uh, the Spirit's got some fantastic things He wants to say. Uh, we are sort of in wrap-up mode in this series. The Lord is our confidence. Uh, confidence was on the docket on Wednesday evening. So if you didn't catch that message, uh, do yourself a favor. We're down to two a week, so uh, you got, I suppose, in one way, even fewer excuses not to listen to, quote, all the messages, right? So um, uh, take the time and listen to that. Proverbs 3.19, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And it just gives us, doesn't that just immediately give you insight into his mind? He said, my wisdom founded the earth. I, 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 God, believe it's a good thing to found the earth. And, you know, by the word of his power, he just made the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up in the skies, drip with dew. My son, let them, and this is a sort of a pointing to those things, but also what's to follow. Let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So, why? Why, Dad? So they will be life to your soul. Life to your soul. And adornment to your neck. Then you will walk, and we're going to talk about walking some more this morning. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Isn't that really a depiction of someone at peace? Yes. And as we're going to see again this morning, uh, righteousness really sows um, peace in the soul. We'll talk about that again. But when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. That's a picture of a person at peace. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This is the passage, especially verse 26, that I originally ripped off our series title from. For the Lord will be your confidence. That's where, you know, 31 parts ago, uh, the Spirit opened up this series, and it was on the coattails of our reading, Proverbs 3, 26. For the Lord will be your confidence. We've learned an awful lot over the course of the past few months on this topic of confidence and where it ought to be directed. What about confidence? That's something we started off with 
on Wednesday evening. What about confidence? If you put confidence on the table, what does it look like? What should it look like? How should our attention or even our affections towards such a concept be directed? Can they be misdirected? Can our confidence be misplaced? What about nuances like self-confidence versus Christ-confidence? So confidence has been sort of the centerpiece of our messages as of late, and we've learned an awful lot about this topic and where uh, our confidence ought to be directed towards. Better yet, where God wants it placed in our lives. Where should confidence be in our lives? Before the series, if you, were, if you recall, we were given, I want to say it was 75 parts, somewhere plus or minus a part, on the deceitfulness of sin. So immediately you should say, yeah, do you remember the, the nature of sin, what it tried to do? It tried to rob you of blessings by distracting you, steering your attention, your affections away from Christ. That was the deceitfulness of sin. Well, if your confidence is in Christ, what is the deceitfulness of sin going to try to do? Take your eyes off of Christ so you have confidence in other things, namely the flesh. And that's the trap that we've been learning about for weeks now. Do not think that the Spirit ordained these two series in this order. And if you add them up, I mean, I'm kind of a math genius, but that's like 106. 31, 75. 106 lessons on the deceitfulness of sin, and the Lord is our confidence. Do you think he's really trying to drive something home? you think there's some substance to these messages? I think so. And you think there's something to say about the order? Look at the deceitfulness of sin, and then let's survey deeply in our own souls where our confidence lies. And is there a relationship? And is there any misery as a result of our being deceived by sin? So do not think that the Spirit ordained these two series in order in this order, perchance, he does everything on purpose. Looking back, we learn from our previous series that sin will deceive us in myriad ways, and we must remain, let's call it on the ball, lest we be tripped up. We have to remain sharp on the ball, because the kingdom of darkness never sleeps. Your flesh doesn't sleep. It's persistent in its antagonism. Our enemies are persistent in their antagonism of our walk in Christ Jesus. So we need to take this knowledge, this wisdom and discretion, a la Proverbs 3, with us into this series. For example, go to Philippians 3, verse 1. Philippians 3, verse 1. Philippians 3. Verse 1, we need to take all of that with us. For example, <laughs> Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul was a good shepherd. He says, I will repeat myself. I know some of you are going to be like, uh, right? If I even mention the word, let's see, if I mention the word money, people are like, uh, relationships, uh, TV, uh, <laughs> no! <laughs> a good shepherd doesn't have a problem with that. Why? They, they, he has to be like that because sheep are stupid, Right? Don't go over there. Right? Don't go over there. Right? Oh, over and over and over again. It's the same thing. So a good shepherd is tenacious, and Paul was all of that. So to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. In other words, he's doing it for you. Beware. A lot of cautionary tales in the Bible. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Those who put self-confidence in the flesh, in other words. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus. And what? Put no confidence in the flesh. So now you have this sort of dichotomy, right? You have a couple of different places you can put your confidence. You can put it in Christ, his wisdom, his knowledge, his discernment, or you can put it in, you know, the creator of the entire universe. Or you can put it into you can put it in that corrupt little thing called the human flesh. Up here on the board. So right out of the gate, the spirit is just saying, look at what Paul's saying and look at the frequency of it in the Bible, frankly. A lot of uh, warnings in the Bible up here on the board. Put no confidence in the flesh. It is wise to place ample emphasis on no in this statement. No. Even one iota of this brand of confidence increases our risk of stumbling. And we all do it to different degrees, depending on our mood, depending on our weariness, depending on our weak sometimes, uh, our weaknesses, uh, how the, how the uh, kingdom of darkness has been attacking us. Uh, a lot of variables, never one variable. But if we make that mistake and we put even one iota of this fleshly confidence uh, in, or our confidence into the flesh, we increase the risk of stumbling. Good intention is to rid our lives of it. All of it. Say it with me. How much? All, honestly. Boy, that was pretty good. Not even a tufa. Right? I was, I was like, all right, here we go. I'm going to say it the first time, and they're going to be like, all of it. Scott's going to be like, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> good intention is to rid our lives of it, all of it. And as I wrote that last phrase, all of it, it I was reminded of a recent blog titled The Great Depression because I use that same phrase multiple times to describe confession of sin, we ought to confess it, all of it, if we seek deliverance from its effects. If we truly want to be delivered, we have to confess uh, all of the sin. Again, Paul writes in verse 3, For we are tr the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Again, it is wise to place ample emphasis on that word, no, because even one iota risks stumbling. Some of us might struggle with the tension that being really good at something creates in us. You know, some of you, I know that some of you are sharp as tacks in your work, uh, in your personalities, in your sense of humor even. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, every one of you, I believe that, I, not that this matters, but I believe there's genius in everyone. It just is a lot of times not measured by schoolwork. Uh, and so, but there's a danger there. You know, some of you are really good at making money or, or, or I don't know, this sounds awful, but, you know, looking good or making friends or being smart or even something like being a good cook. Some of you in here are like phenomenal cooks. Some of you can't boil water. So that, so the phenomenal cook get puffed up? No. No. But there's a tension there. As soon as there's something, quote, good about you, all of a sudden there's an immediate tension. Because the human flesh is, ooh, goodie bag, let me reach in. Let me grab some of those goodies for me. And I'll attach it to myself, and then I'll be better. I'll have more creature credit. So there's always that tension. As this week's blog, which is titled Looking in the Mirror, describes it, we are consistently tempted towards creature credit. That is, taking credit for what we see in the mirror, when it's really God's good work, by grace, not our own. If we have a proper filter on, we do see good things. We step in the mirror, we see it, and then the flesh says, give me some of that. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave the rest for God, but give me 10%. I need a little, you know, I need a little working money on the street. I need a little street credibility. So when I work, you know, when I work the crowd, all my fleshly friends, and, you know, I need a little bit of that. I need to work the crowd. God, you keep 90, I'll just take 10. Huh? No, none. No, no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. We have this bad habit, though. We're consistently tempted towards creature credit. The moment we look in the mirror and give the needle a little nudge off of the 100% God position, we have begun the process of our own demise. 
Paul understood this struggle as much as anyone hearing my voice this morning. After all, by fleshly standards, he had really more to boast about than anyone, or at least the vast majority of individuals that he would have run into during his lifetime. And maybe some of you hearing my voice think, you know, you're top of the game too. And maybe in some aspects of life you are. Maybe you really are top of your game in some aspect of life. Okay, well, let's, let's read Philippians 3, 4. <clears throat> although, you see, he continues, he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, he's being sort of facetious, so to speak, he's doing one of his, you know, logical suppose this for a moment. Although I, might, I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. In other words, Paul was a hot shot. Paul was explaining his street credibility. He had all of it. He had all the, you know, all the check marks. Boom, boom, boom. He had the, the great resume, the polished resume, the pedigree, if you would. Paul was explaining his street credibility and that he had a lot of it, like maybe some of you do. I don't know. And then he does something revolutionary. Revolutionary, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, this is past tense, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, he's basically saying, all that stuff I just gave you, it's a big pile of dung. It's worthless. And some of you should relate. He's like, look, I'm, I was hot stuff. Very highly esteemed in this world. Garbage. It means nothing. He said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness. This is going to get to our key point this morning. Not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, in other words, fulfilling, doing perfect, you know, blamelessly upholding the law, not that kind of self-righteousness from his own, derived from keeping the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, up here on the board, not having a righteousness of my own. This really requires a bit of introspection for every believer in Christ. Our flesh is 100% self-righteous always. There's never a time that we can tame it. Never a time we can tame self-righteousness. The temptation is constant. So when Paul wrote that, not having a righteousness of my own, we have to take that to heart. We have to examine ourselves. We have to look in the mirror and say, do I really, is my hand in the goodie bag? Like God made me X, Y, and Z. And it just so happens that the world esteems that thing. Is my hand in the goodie jar? Am I robbing some of the glory by saying and attributing it to me for the sake of creature credit? Contrarily, up here on the board, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Contrary to self-righteousness is Christ's righteousness, the mainstay of the new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's like when Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's the new creature speaking. This righteousness bears good fruit by grace through faith such as our topic as of late, confidence. This righteousness gives us a good, healthy Christian conscience, or uh, confidence, excuse me, a.k.a. having faith that you are right before God. 
That's the kind of confidence you want. And that's the key, that last parenthetical there. Uh, that's the key. Having faith that you are right before God. That's what matters. Not that you're right or highly esteemed by mankind. Who cares? It's what does God think of you? What does God think of your life? What does God think of the decisions you've made? What does God think about your friends, your choices that you make, your, you name it? What does God say? Because you will lack confidence if you know that you're purposely disoriented from him. And that's the warning. That's the big beware. So do you see how much is impregnated in this passage Paul wrote to edify the church at Philippi? It's incredible, actually. And then here's the beautiful thing. He doesn't even stop there. Paul, you know, Paul is kind of famous for getting on a roll, which is fantastic. So he doesn't stop there, nor have we in our studies, having covered all of these key topics over the past 30 parts in this series, he continues on in, on in a way consistent with our own curriculum here at North Christian Church as of late. Go to, you're in Philippians 3 still, right? Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power, the power. Some of you are saying, you know, I never really focused on the power of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I just started focusing on it again. That's good. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. How encouraging is it to read Paul's precious words to the church? How encouraging is it? I'm very, very encouraged because we can all relate firsthand. We're all, you know, snazzy at something. We're all highly esteemed in some area of our lives. And some of you are like, no, no, stop. If you need a, if you need a, a, a thing, come to my office, I'll tell you where I think I esteem you. And trust me, everybody in here is esteemed somehow. How encouraging is it, though, to be able to relate to Paul, who had the world by the horns, and then considered it all garbage. Because that's what we're asked to do. Right? Jesus said, if you don't give up yourself, you don't carry your own cross, you can't be my disciple. These are the things I'm asking of you. And these are solemn subjects. These are not flippant subjects. That's why there's been so much emphasis on it for the last three years, ever since the gospel reload. I'm encouraged. You should be as well. I mean... For starters, can't we all admit this morning that none of us have made it yet? Is that fair? Yeah, of course. Well, it might help you to know that Paul, if he were here, would agree 100% with that sentiment. If he was sitting right there, he would say, me neither. Isn't this great? None of us have made it. So let us be encouraged, even in light of our horrific failures. Let's continue. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, this is a wonderful skill to have in your bag, one thing I do, one skill that I do have that delivers me every time, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That's a wonderful skill for all of us to have. Up here on the board, a little help on that. Forgetting what lies behind Yesterday is gone. They haven't invented a time machine yet. They're not going to. So you can't get it back. It's gone. You can't get it back. It's true. We can and should learn from our mistakes, but we shouldn't perseverate on them. We shouldn't perseverate on them. Despondency results when we buy the lie that our past defines our future. I mean, imagine if Paul did that. He'd be doomed. He was killing Christians. He'd be doomed. 
but he didn't. This is the same man writing this, which is why, in God's perfect wisdom, he chose Paul. Remember in the early church when Paul came on, he's like, oh, I got something to preach, and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, and they would speak among themselves, so whoa, whoa, isn't this the guy that used to persecute us? I'm not buying it, right? God used him for a reason, knowing the end from the beginning. He said, I can use this guy, and he did. Again, yesterday's gone. You can't get it back. It's true. We can and should learn from our mistakes, but we shouldn't perseverate on them. Despondency results when we buy the lie that our past defines our future. We have a living hope, 1 Peter 1.3, that we are entitled to as children of God. We are entitled to this living hope. No one can steal that from you. Don't even let your own roommate sell you that lie you have a live if you were look everybody here is still breathing if you're still here god has a purpose for you if you're still here you have a title deed right to a living hope <clears throat> doesn't matter what you did yesterday it matters that god has kept you alive today and if he does that he's giving you an opportunity so that you can bring glory to him Amen? That's encouraging. Because every day is a new day. We have a living hope that we are entitled to as children of God. This attitude, when understood implicitly, is meant to set us free. Free to do what exactly? Look at verse 14. Free to do what? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you're stuck in your past in some guilt because the kingdom of darkness and your enemies are just on you, hey, I remember, and keeps reminding you and telling you that you should be living in your past, you're not free. You won't do verse 14. Verse 14 is, is, is somewhere out in the ether for you, untouchables, too, too far of a reach for you. You forgot your title deed to a living hope. You've forgotten that you're a child of God. You've forgotten. You've been duped. You've been deceived. So verse 14 really is what we do with this freedom. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, and perfect doesn't mean perfect the way you think of it. It means mature. Have this attitude. And if anything uh, if in anything you have a different attitude, guess what? In other words, if you're not quite matured yet, God will reveal that to you also. just means you've got some things to learn. Maybe some uh, scar tissue to, to shed. Maybe some lies to get out of your life, to, to sort of get out from underneath the weight of. Here's some additional encouragement on this up here on the board. James 1.5 in the message if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. That's so simple. You know what? I don't know about you, but I wake up. I had this prayer this morning. I had this prayer last night when I woke up briefly. God, I don't know what I'm doing. For real. I don't know what I'm doing. And he says, all right, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's think about some Holy Scripture right now. Let's do this thing. Woke up, I'm out of bed this morning, had my coffee. I don't know what I'm doing on this thing or that thing in my life. And he said, good, let's, let's, let's talk about this. He loves to help. He's a good dad. Imagine that. Imagine that. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you're asked for it. If you're unsure about your own heart on a matter, pray to God. And God will reveal that also to you. That's what verse 15 was talking about. Do you know what we call this? We call it a promise. God promises that he will reveal things to you. He promises that he loves to help. That's a promise. Our God is a God of perfect integrity, which means that if his word says, lean on this promise, to get you by, then do it. It's yours. 
You have a title deed to it. Do you understand? That's, that's that chasm between believers and unbelievers. There are, unfortunately, unbelievers in Christian churches that expect to reap the benefits of certain promises, and they never come because they've made a game even out of salvation. But that's a whole other story. We have promises. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have title deed to these promises. So if he says lean on this promise, by all means, do it. You have been given the divine right to do so. Reminds me of the old hymn, Leaning on the everlasting arms up here on the board. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Again, verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, in anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. He promises. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. More on walking later. For many walk, again, here's a sort of a warning flare, for many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God, little g, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, we have a living hope, a la 1 Peter 3.3 3 that we just saw, and I'll give you up here on the board, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And oh, when you stand in front of the mirror, begin this process with yourself you should be able to stand in front of the mirror. This is what it means to be confident. Stand in front of the mirror and say, I have a title deed to this living hope. I should be able to stand here firm in my faith. And if you don't have that kind of faith, what do you do? You ask God for it. He loves to help. But do not be discouraged. Do not be lied to and do not become depressed to the point where you're... Um, basically weak to the point where you can't even move, where you feel hopeless. Again, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Again, look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. We just saw that. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Again, just sort of like a, hey, don't forget who's all omnipotent here. Don't forget who has the power to do all these things, to even do something as fundamental as keep his promises. Let's go back to where we began this morning up here on the board. Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The Lord will be your confidence. And so we've had this sort of recurring principle in our studies, the source of confidence. Jesus is the only person worthy of possessing this self-confidence. Our confidence must be in him, not in ourselves we might call this Christ's confidence. We have the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. This week's blog really honed our attention on the process of self-examination, a.k.a. looking in the mirror, in order to identify which brand of confidence 
we walk away with. That's what that was there for. And you see the perfect synchronicity, the harmony with, this, with the last message and this message? That's why it's so important, folks. I know I sound like a broken record, but you've got to read the blogs. If you don't read the blogs, you're missing, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's significant of what the Spirit's trying to say to you. But that's what this blog, this week's blog was about, self-examination, in order to identify which brand of confidence we walk away with. Now, we were asked to assess the process, if you would. We've been being asked this. How do we approach the truth? Not just about the world, but about ourselves. What's the process that we go through? How does that relate to the Lord being our confidence? How does that translate in the long term? So we've been asked to assess the process, if you will. Why? Because some of us spend too much time in the mirror adoring ourselves, while others of us don't spend enough time in the mirror at all. And then for the rest of us, we have a mishmash of everything in between. The point the Spirit wants us to focus on, though, especially this morning, is the process. Not just, now listen, not just what we see in the moment we're in front of the mirror. That's the mistake I think a lot of us make. We only focus on the time, the moment we're in front of the mirror. But the Spirit wants us to think about the process. And the process extends out beyond just that time we're strictly speaking in front of the mirror, to moments before and moments after. What's your, what's your approach to the mirror? And then once something's revealed to you, what's your attitude after? Do you jettison it immediately if you don't like it? Or do you go immediately to prayer or remain right in front of the mirror? Show me. And as the blog said, sometimes... How about you get your fat head out of the way? Right? If, you, if I was to go like this, if I was to hold up a mirror right now, what am I going to see? All of you. Not if I'm like this, though. Woo! Not if the mirror is this big. Some of you are like, man, that guy's really shiny in the back. <laughs> if, <laughs> if I'm like this, right, what do I see? Me. If I hold it out like this and I turn around, I see all of you, and you're all part of my life. Some of you are going through some things. So, like the blog said, just tilt the mirror sometimes. Maybe to the point where you're out of frame. And now you can see the rest of the people in your life. So it's not about the process of just you in the mirror. Oh, we love that one, don't we? Because we like to stick our hand in the candy jar. But it's also, how do you approach? Do you want to see everything about you? and your life, including the people over your shoulder? And then what about afterwards? What are you going to do once he reveals those things to you? What does the process look for you, like for you? Because one is very religious, one is honest. Religious, I just see myself in the mirror for that split moment in time, and you go like this, you know, uh-huh, I did my good duty for the day, uh-huh, I self-examined, uh-huh. But that's not what self-examination is about at all. There's a certain honesty that goes approaching it, seeing it, and what do you do afterwards with it? That's the process. James spoke to this. Go to James 121. James 121. You could take that process and apply it to church. How are you approaching church this morning? La, 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 I'm doing my religious duty. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to take me about an hour and a half. I'm going to get my fill of some quiche with some sausage and some pink cupcakes, whatever those things are. Then I'm going to go home watch football, drink a few brewskis. I'm going to say the process is broken. That process is broken. That's not an honest process. That's a religious process. Coming to church is not a checkbox. Do you understand? It's a privilege You should approach it with reverence. Not me. What's happening here? The presence of God, the Holy Spirit. You should approach it 
with reverence and then walk away with that same reverence and gratitude. James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That's the deceitfulness of sin, right? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's bad process. That's the person who just sits in front of the mirror, and as soon as they're gone, they forget everything that God told them. They forget about everything that, instead of praying on it and meditating on it and doing what's right out of honesty and reverence, they just basically split. And they leave the image they were shown behind. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed. Blessed. Not the one who forgets the image in the mirror. The one who keeps it. That person is blessed. The honest person, the humble person. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. A lot of things can happen when a person looks in the mirror for the sake of self-examination. Much of what we get out of the exercise is our attitude towards the process itself or as the Spirit brought up recently, how we approach the truth, especially concerning ourselves. How do we approach the truth? It's how we approach it that really matters. You might look in the mirror and God says that very thing to you. You know, I'm just saying, I'm glad you're here. But the way you approach this blessed time of fellowship with me in prayer was garbage. I'm glad you're here but it was awfully religious of you. I know you're here, but I see your fingers wet and ready to go, uh-uh, uh-uh. uh Yep, I did it. Whew. Yeah. He might reveal that to you. He might say, your attitude coming to this point wasn't good, wasn't pure, wasn't right. Therefore, you're not blessed. That's the whole point. He loves you. What's he want to do? He wants to pour a blessing on you. That's a promise. But you've got to kind of fulfill your end of the bargain. You can't be an adolescent-type brat. Say, oh, I've got to read another blog. I've got to church. I'm so tired. I've been working all week. I'm so tired. Right? Anybody talk like that anymore? <laughs> it's how you approach it. If you're too tired to come to church, maybe you should make some changes in your life. I'm just saying. You're too tired to read the blog. Make some changes. I'm just saying. It's not that hard. It's just priorities. And that's, look, he's not saying it to throw stones at you. He's saying it because he wants to bless you. I'd like to see you blessed too, because I love you. And that's about as good as it gets, I think, from my perspective. Up here on the board, an old friend, the approach to truth dictates what you find. That's from weeks ago. For example, if you approach the mirror, the process of self-examination, with the intention of being impressed in a fleshly way, then we have a cautionary scripture to contend with. Go to Galatians 6.3. Galatians 6, verse 3. Just be careful how you even approach the, the mirror. Galatians 6, verse 3. Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he what? What's the word? Deceives himself, right? If you think you're all that, if you have self-confidence, the bad kind, you're deceiving yourself. 
But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh reap, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit uh, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. On Wednesday, we took pause here up here on the board. While we have opportunity, let us do good. Life is short. Anybody want to contend with this? No, life is short. I'm going to be a grandfather soon. Can you believe that? Right? Yay. But that makes me kind of old. There's no getting around it. Dude, you're a grandfather. There's really no way of getting around it. You're, getting, you're on the old side. Right? Where did time go? Not that long ago, Joe was skateboarding and Andrew was running over my plants in my yard. <laughs> like all the time. Right? I'm serious. I had to replant one plant about six times. Every time I would sit out my window, I look, there goes Andrew. Mm. <laughs> Crushed another one. Time to go back. <laughs> and now they're having a baby. Life is short. Honestly, life is short, but God is good. God is good. Let us take advantage of what little time we have on this earth to bring glory to the one who saves us. Let us avoid the trappings of creature credit. For example, self-confidence instead of Christ's confidence. The Spirit even took us back all the way to the fall in the garden to show us how ancient the trappings of creature credit are and our pursuit of them as well. Remember, it's how we approach the truth that matters. In other words, what is our process? That seems to be the key word this morning. What is your process? What is the process that you go through? Just to do something like this morning, what did the process look like? Were you grumbling? Did you grumble at all? Was there any part of you who was like, what happened? Why in the world would that thing be there? Why would you grumble when you can be given a gift like this morning? Are you serious? And then why would you grumble when God shows you something that is meant to sanctify you? Why would you be malcontent in any way, shape, or form, if the holy God of the universe says, I got this, I'm going to sanctify you, listen here. And you go, I don't like what you're saying. And you step back and say, why is that? Go in front of the mirror, why is that? Live for others. I'm looking in the mirror, look at them all back there. Look at them. I'm just going to turn it back to me. I like me better. Me and my selfie stick. Right? The approach is what matters. It's the process that matters. Not that you can just go like this and check off some religious box. Satan in the kingdom of darkness will take every advantage of you if you're willing to let them. Case in point, he tempted the woman in the garden this easily. You will be like God. Let me ask you a question. Is there not a little part of you? If you said... If, if God said, hey, you can be me for a day, is there not part of you that would be like, really? That's your flesh. A, a sane person would never think that way. But Satan made that temptation. You will be like God. Your eyes are going to be opened, and you will be like God. You will have your own wisdom. You won't even need him. Hey, listen, if you're like God, do you need God? If you make a little God out of yourself, do you need God? Look around. Go to them. I was going to say go to the mall, but they're all closed. Go somewhere public. Look around. It's a bunch of little gods running around. 
a little self-made, a bunch of little self-made idols uh, celebrating themselves, as if they were their own creators. That was the temptation. It's ancient. Is it Genesis three? It's ancient. This is Satan's way of saying, you'll have your own wisdom and you won't need to consult with God anymore. We are heavily warned against this ancient temptation throughout Holy Scripture. For example, go to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. There's warning after warning after warning. Be careful where you place your confidence, your faith. Galatians 5.16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Back to a recurring point in our messages to give the Spirit's teaching some more depth and purpose up here on the board. Sin is the cause of misery. You need to think about that. It deceives you. It likes where it's at. It tries to advance on you. That's what we learned in 75 parts in the deceitfulness of sin. It also does things like steals you of your confidence, your Christ confidence, and displaces it with self-confidence, which really leads to what? More misery. That's the intent of sin, teshuka, to dominate you. Can't dominate you on the grounds that God put you on, your title deed grounds. It has to trick you off to the side. It has to get you to believe in lies so that it can dominate you. And once you're dominated, you're miserable. Sin is the cause of misery. If we walk by the power of sin, we reject God's power. If, as in Galatians 5.16, we walk by the Spirit, we walk by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. As we've already noted, this walking is tantamount to being filled with the Spirit. That's Ephesians 5.18. If we ought to picture a righteous Christian, just picture that. What is a righteous Christian? What does a righteous Christian look like when they're walking? Well, we have a perfect example, Jesus Christ. What did he look like when he walked? Did he, was he filled with the Spirit? Always. Always. How did he walk? Did he, was he confident? No one was more confident. Was he righteous? Perfectly so. We have the perfect example in Christ Jesus. None of this is a mystery, so to speak. The visual, in terms of Jesus Christ, is that he walked confidently because he was ever filled with the Spirit. We rightly say that Jesus walked with power. And furthermore, that this power is available to all of his sheep. As a friendly reminder up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is a supernaturally empowered walk, compliments of the Spirit of Christ. We walk by faith. That's where we derive our power from. But our faith has to be properly directed and therefore empowered by the Spirit of Christ. And so that was a principle that came out this, last, this past week up here on the board, walking with power. Walking with power. Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. 1 Corinthians 2, 3-5, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. Walking with power. going to have any confidence whatsoever. We have to walk with power. 1 Corinthians 2.3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, Paul writing, and my, mess, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but where? On the power of of God, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Again, faith is power because the Spirit endows it. 
How about go to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Second Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Again, faith is power because the Spirit endows it. To this end, also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that, at the, name, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the expression of God's power working through a vessel like you brings glory to God. God tends to like those things because he wants glory to be his. 1 Peter 1.3, go there. And it is rightfully his after all. 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1.3. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are protected by the power of God through faith. Faith, again, the point on the board we're amplifying, essentially, is walking with power. Faith has power because the Spirit endows it. So synthesizing what we've learned in the series so far, up here on the board, more on walking with power, it's true that our confidence must be rooted in faith in Christ, but it's also true that for said faith to animate us, to enable us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a la Colossians 1.10, it must be empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. We can put our own faith to the test up here on the board. It's a fair litmus test of our own faith. If our faith fails under pressure, but we know that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, what does that say about our supposed faith? If, if your faith fails under pressure... What does it say about your supposed faith? Was it from God? Was it? Was it mature enough to handle that pressure? It's an interesting thing for all of us to think about because this God-inspired uh, Holy Scripture said that he'll never give you more than you can handle. To summarize up here on the board... The Lord is our confidence. Our confidence is rooted in faith. It is through faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that we obtain said confidence. In other words, it is the Spirit who empowers our Christ confidence. We've looked at Romans 15, 13. We've looked at Philippians 4, 13. And we've looked at now Colossians 1, 9 to 12. So concentrate. And I'm going to pick a spot to close. Concentrate. I'm going to now introduce a core doctrine of our faith from the side, so to speak. We've got this kind of nailed, don't we? We're in 31 parts, get this kind of nailed. The Lord is our confidence. Righteousness. What about righteousness? And how does it relate to this process of becoming confident, of being given faith by the power of the Spirit so that we end up with confidence? What, how, what about righteousness? First, who imparts it to us? Here's a hint. We are baptized into union with Christ by whose agency? The answer is God the Holy Spirit. Spiritual baptism means to be placed into union with Christ at salvation. That's the agency of God the Holy Spirit. So we are made righteous by God the Holy Spirit's baptizing us. We might say, then, 
By the power of the Spirit, we have been made righteous. Fair enough? Here's some supporting scripture. Go to Titus 3.4. Titus 3.4. We are made righteous by God the Holy Spirit baptizing us. This is something that we know doctrinally that happens at salvation. We are baptized into union with Christ Jesus. That's how we say that we're in Christ. That's the, the language that Paul uses Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which have, uh, we have done in, in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to be baptized by God, the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and renewing, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the net net of all this is that the Holy Spirit empowers the spiritual life. Don't ever make that mistake. I personally have made it. It's one of the mistakes I generally make. I, I'm have a sense of strength, type A, or whatever the heck you want to call it, and I forget to lean on his promise that he has everything under control, and it's by his power that he sanctifies. I think we all do it, so don't just point fingers. We have Christ's righteousness because of God the Holy Spirit. We have faith because of him, and therefore we have confidence because of him. Why? Because we have, we know, what is, what is this confidence based on? Confidence is, is just another way of saying, I know that I'm right. I have faith in my righteousness. That's how I'm confident. In other words, faith without the righteousness as the substance is vapid, which means under pressure it cracks and fails which means that God never gave you that faith. It was uh, manufactured by self. Maybe, maybe because when you do go in front of the mirror, you're like, meh. Maybe he wants to set you free. Maybe he wants you to, to have more righteousness about yourself, more faith. But you're too disinterested, so he doesn't give it to you. Because as Scripture says, God gives a measure of faith to each of us. God gives grace to the humble. It's the process of how we approach, how we self-examine. It matters a lot. So we have Christ's righteousness because of the Spirit. We have faith because of Him. We have confidence because of Him. This is why Paul wrote this incredible mind blow of a verse. And by the way, this is the verse that started the whole Protestant revolution with Luther, he read this and his mind blew up. Not literally, because he had to post some stuff on a church door. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, it was a mind blow. And if, you, if you've spent any time, I always go back to, I just started reading Romans when I got up the other night, in the middle of the night, just started reading it, because Romans is a mind blow. But anyways, Romans 1.17, for the... In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Hmm. Yeah, we got a little extra time, right? Right? Game's on on yet, right? People are like, no, it's good, it's good. Don't go any longer, though, just a little bit. Right? So you run out in the pocket and like, and there's like a Steelers shirt. Pat shirts. Sean was here. It'd be the Raiders. I don't know what Joey's doing. What are you, the Cleveland guy? Yeah, boys. You are. The righteous man shall live by faith. Furthermore, when we have Christ's righteousness, we have the blessings that come along with it. Peace, quietness, and confidence 
We noted this already. Up here on the board, I'll do the work for you. I'm going to go quickly. So I want to get to one more point, and then I'll close. Isaiah 32, 17, and the work of righteousness will be peace. Isn't that beautiful? Righteousness isn't just something to be had. It actually does a good work in you. It's beautiful. When you know you're right, do you sleep better at night? If you know your life is right before the holy God of the universe, do you sleep better or worse at night? Better, of course, because you're at peace. When you know you're right, it's when you know you're disoriented. It's when you know you are actively living in sin that you cannot sleep at night, right? But when you're not, when you know you're right, it does a good work in you. You have peace and you can sleep at night. And the service of righteousness, also translated the effect of righteousness or the wages of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Isn't that beautiful? The service of righteousness, quiet and confidence forever. When you know you're right, do you have anything to prove? Do you? No. So you just go on your own way, right? There's, you're not chest beating. I call it the brown belt phenomenon. You ever seen that? Black belts don't really go about saying, hey, it's the brown belts, the ones right below the black belts because they have a chip on their shoulder. It's the brown belt phenomenon. You can take it or leave it, no extra charge. Right? <laughs> but the black belts are quiet. They're like, anything comes my way, my kung fu's got it covered. Right? The person who's righteous before God, God's got it covered. It's the one who's like the brown belt, who's, you know, playing tricks in the mirror, living in sin, you know, willingly doing stuff outside of God and his plan for them, and they don't sleep well at night. They're not quiet. Sometimes they have to tell the rest of the world, I'm doing so good, I'm a spiritual giant, and they have to prove to the world. They think by, by verbalizing it, it makes it real. All those little tricks we play with ourselves, that's not quietness. And then confidence. If you know you're right, you have faith that you're righteous, you have a confidence forever. Again, I'll end with this. The practical test is, when are you most confident? The answer, when you have faith in your righteousness. So just to close this up for the sake of context, we aren't currently focused on all the blessings that come with having supernatural righteousness, not in this series, but suffice to say that since righteousness bears good fruit, we just noted that, one promise we can cling to is that with righteousness comes confidence. And I'll end with this. The Lord is our confidence. Confidence in the Spirit's power to transform us is tantamount to confidence in Christ. Does that make sense? It's the same thing. Confidence in the Spirit's power to transform us is tantamount to confidence in Christ. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us these pearls of wisdom. Thank you for giving us the faculties to be able to digest them, to live in them if we so choose in humility. Father, thank you for sanctifying us by the Spirit's power in our lives and reminding us that we don't sanctify ourselves at all. That is the very definition of futility that leads to misery. Father, thank you for always encouraging us. We just ask for your Spirit's guidance as we take the things back to our homes uh, and out, then out to a, a world that's just decaying, Father. We just ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.